This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and salut Babette. My name is Vivian Langford, and on production tonight, we've got Andy Britt, who's very busy at the moment, but he'll How say hello. Going, I'm going well. Thanks, Andy. Thanks Great. for coming in. No worries. And uh, we've also got a guest in the studio, which is Lachlan Rule, and he'll speak to you a bit later. Tonight, we're off to Western Australia, to Collie. It's the place that Beyond Zero Emissions picked as a case study for a new report planning the future beyond coal, and it's called Collie at the Crossroad. I have the project leader, Lachlan, rule in the studio with Andy and me. G'day, Viv. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. He had to make a quick dash to get here. Collie is uh, 200 kilometres from Perth and it's facing a perfect storm as its coal mines and power stations reach their end. What will give new life and new jobs to this southwest corner of Western Australia? It's been called the canary in the coal mine for climate change. As rainfall declines, can Collie depend on agriculture and tourism to survive or could new industries make it thrive? Beyond Zero Emissions has been working with the Collie community to create a blueprint for the future. I would just like to now acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I'll pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And our first guest is a Noongar elder from Collie. He's called James Khan, and I'd like to welcome him to this show. Are you there, James? Yes, greeting. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I'd like it's you a to... Pleasure. It's my pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'd like to know, could you introduce us to your country? Yes, I'd like to uh, welcome your, your radio show to the southwest of WA, Cobby area of the Wilman people and our past and present elders. And um, yeah, we welcome you with open arms. What's the country like there? It's very hot at the moment. And um, yeah, there's a, there's the, we've got the vegetation. The vegetation, the bushland is, is brilliant. Uh, we've got uh, beautiful wetlands, and uh, but unfortunately, there's not enough rain. <laughs> mm, yes. Has coal affected people's lives very much there? It's it's been a boom, hasn't it? In it's people say to me, "Collie is coal," but how has it affected people's lives? This industry. Uh, it, it, uh, if it if it if it goes, you know, if it doesn't ex- exist anymore in the future, it will affect a lot of families that was, uh, you know, uh, grandfathers, great grandfathers, and um, grandsons, right through and, and into the future of our next generation. It would affect them pretty well because uh, that was their lifestyle of living. Yeah. Well, what was it like in those days? Um, in your youth there, what, what was Collie the town like? Was it very different from now? Uh, it's 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 grown a little bit, but as it as it grew, it um, the, the the jobs become scarce. And uh, yeah, back in the days, 
you know, you used to see the mine, the, the, the buses go around the streets to pick up the miners that are local. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was an ongoing thing and it was the only thing for Collie besides the uh, Muja Power Station. And um, later on, uh, Worsley Refinery started, so... Collie's been a common factor of Collie for years and years and years. And and hopefully, if it goes ahead within the future, you know, it uh, it would be a great benefit to Collie because um, uh, if there's nothing for... If the coal mine's closed down and if there's nothing going for Collie, well, then what becomes of it? This is the thing that we've got to be talking about because... Yeah. Um, the opportunities are very scarce at the moment because, uh, you know, every every shop in the street was fully occupied. There was two cinemas years ago, you know, and, and, and the town was very, very active in every way and every weekend. And there was solutions for the younger generation and my, my age group. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's activities, but uh, nowadays it's just... Um, yeah, it's a dying race, actually. Yeah, well, that's what we want to hear about, and we're going to develop that through the program with all these different people who've thought about it. But, you know, Beyond Zero Emissions is the group I'm with, and they're very worried about climate change, and they want a sort of zero emissions future, like with no coal, no gas, no oil, nowhere in the world, because people are starting to connect the emissions from that with the terrible changes in our climate and weather patterns. So that's a huge thing when you're in a town where the main thing is coal and you have to start thinking, how could it be different? No one wants to leave anyone behind. But have you noticed, um, you know, any people, have people started to talk a bit about the future in a different way, like to bring back those cinemas and bring back those activities? Because I know people here in the Latrobe Valley, they used to have a lot more, it was a company town, you know, Morewell would have all kind of things, you know, activities for people and for children and Christmas parties and picnics and things that seem to be part of the company, but I don't think they do it that way anymore. But what are people talking about? What would they like to see? Oh, look, I'd like to see it go back to the original state, but, uh, you know, as things grow in the future, well, it, there's a lot of changes. But yeah. see, back back in the days when the coal mine was, was very, very op- uh, operating, you know, at, at, a, at 100%, they used to sponsor a lot of stuff that was in Covey. But, um, you know, for instance, the Covey show was on this weekend that just went uh, on a Saturday, and... Um, it's lacking lacking the activities that's at the show because there's no sponsorship. And um, if there's an opportunity that uh, can reinstate Collie if the coal mine does close down mm. or if it, if it doesn't work in the future, mm. if there's something that, that's sustainable for Collie, then, um, you know, maybe we could get them resources back again. But uh, I can't see it happening, but... The younger generation is going to suffer, and they're going to suffer big time because uh, they wouldn't. It's just, just like just like football players, you know, they're going yeah. to go away or fly yeah. in, fly oh, out yeah. Yeah. Uh, to make it to make a living or, or, or to do anything. But um, there's no place like home. 
No, and that's that's tragic because it sort of guts the heart and soul out of a place, doesn't it, when that happens? Well, look, I hope... Yes, you, it does. Yeah, I hope you can go along to the launch in Collie. I think it's uh, Friday. The, one of the people in the studio is Lachlan. He's going to be there, and they're going to be launching the Beyond Zero report, which is looking at all the other options, mostly for jobs, but also ways to you know, revitalise the social life and the community spirit of the place so people, especially young people, don't have to go away. So there is more of a sense of this is a good place to live, you know, because of these future projects. And and I think um, it's up to people, you know, leaders like you and, and the younger ones to sort of get onto it and think, well, how could we make it happen if you like those ideas? Um this is what we're going to talk about tonight. But I, I can see what what you're saying. I bet anyone listening from Morwell or from Hunter Valley or even Queensland, you know, coal mining areas, they would be exactly feeling exactly like you. Let's keep it all just going, keep it going. Um, but yeah. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, no. yeah it's, 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 and we've got to get the government on our side too because yeah. the government plays a big role on everything, you know, yeah. because... Um, they make the decisions of so many, so many uh, thousands or millions of people. You know. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, and um, if if they don't make the right decision, well, then there's a lot of people that's going to suffer. Yeah, I think I think they are moving in that way. I think they will be getting information from a lot of people. It's a very big leap. It's a very brave thing to do to make a transition. But it's the sort of thing where the whole world is moving towards this, you know, renewable energy and uh, new projects. I think. Um, you, you'll see that uh, government will come on board, but it needs the communities to give them the push, you know, to say we want this. And I'm going to talk to Jamie Yallop-Farrant now a bit more about community, you know, community opinions. But did you have anything else yep. to say to us about what kind of community you would like to see? What's the what would what's the thing that's I, missing now? I'd, I'd like to see it go back to the old standards, you know, where we all just walk down the street and say hello and all this and that and that. And mm. you don't talk about anything that's going to be closing down or what's mm. going to happen to us. We're not going to be a ghost town and everything mm. like that. Mm. See, because um, when there's a failure, when, um, you know, everybody knows each other around town mm. and um, it affects a fair, fair few of them. Yeah. Well, look, I'll tell you about one little place up in New South Wales called Bylong Valley, and I've interviewed people there, and they were being bought out one by one, um, even the local store lady. I interviewed her, and she was she said, look, our local shop used to be the kind of meeting place. A lot of people come and chat, and just like you said, people knew each other, and they all chatted. And in the end, the, the coal mining company was buying them all out, but then they were stopped. It's this beautiful valley, Bylong, you know, it's a magnificent country, and farming country, and she said um, that the, the court turned it around. They, they refused that Balong Valley coal project to go ahead. So they're hoping to restore that social, yeah, the pe- people feeling that they've got a good future rather than being so anxious and worried that it could be a ghost town. That's That was their feeling, and they were lucky because court turned it around. Well, no, that's good on them, but because there's no place like home. No. Know? No. There's no place at home, that's the old saying. And, um, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd never like to go anywhere else, but uh, probably I hate going to Perth, I hate going to Bunbury. Yeah. It's just, um, it's, it's hectic, you know, but when you're home, you know, what I just told you just then, I said, you, you, you're welcomed. Yeah. 
Oh, well, good on you. I hope it continues that way. And thank you for talking to us today, James. It was interesting to hear, hear your point of view. No, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure. Okay, thanks, James. Okay, so that was James Khan, who's an elder uh, from Collie area, and now we're going to speak to Jamie Yallop-Farrand. She's on the phone from Western Australia, and her work is with the Climate Justice Union. She's been talking to people in the community in Collie, trying to get some sort of social consensus for the change that is inevitable, really, but we want to make it as humane as possible. So welcome, Jamie. Hi, thanks. Uh, Look, what were you aiming to do when you were interviewing so many people down there? I think part of our role was really finding out what the community are already asking for. Um, There have been... Um, transition conversations in different parts of the community for um, you know years and years down in, in the Collie community, led by people in the Collie community. And so we wanted to ensure that the work that Lachlan and the BZE team um, were doing was able to kind of build on that work that had already been happening in the community and sometimes in silos had been happening in the community. So we wanted to hear, you know, what were the stories the community were already telling, what were the things that people wanted and how did it fit within the report and the process that um, Beyond Zero Emissions were, were, were doing. Well, we've just heard from James Kahn and he, I think he really wants it to stay the same. He wants the coal and the good jobs to go on, even though he said there's a lot of, um, you know, it's not as friendly as it used to be and there isn't so much social amenity as there used to be. Um, We've heard from him. So what were some of the other people saying? What kind of things did they want? Um, We've heard lots of things. I think when people say that they want the coal and the good jobs to continue, what they're actually um, really saying is they want security. And I heard it just in the end of James's interview there. I think, you know, people were saying that, you know, they want secure jobs, they want well-paid jobs, they want um, to be able to utilise their skills in place. Um, and and people want you know a safe and exciting and vibrant community. That that's what people tend to want. Um, but that can look different for different people. Um, and so um, you know, I know in some of the conversations with James and with others, it was also looking at you know culturally secure employment and training opportunities for the young ones. So that there's cultural tourism opportunities. And so as a transition happens, um, and as um, new industry comes into the area. Is it consistent with taking care of country and can that also create um, opportunities for tourism within the local area? Um, For people that are in those high-skilled industries, um, you know, many of the stories was it's not about um, coal coal closing or coal and gas closing and being replaced straight by renewables. The conversation was more what's the industry that replaces this industry that's been here for decades? So there was that conversation that was more nuanced and it's a complex Uh, a complex um, kind of array of different things. You know, it was looking Mm. at we don't just want, you know, a wind farm. Like we want industry that we know is going to continue and not just be boom and bust. So people were talking about, um, you know, recyclable industry. People were talking about um, ship breaking and things like that, Um, recycled steel, all of these different things. um, Also, uh, you know, food and and packaging and um, kind of uh, sustainable food industry down there that, you know, is high energy. Maybe it's refrigeration or freezing, but, you know, just different industries that can um, build in that that area so that it's an industry 
being replaced by other industries yeah. rather than that simple idea of, you know, turn off coal and turn on solar and wind. Yeah, look, I know you help with the Beyond Zero Emissions report and it paints a picture of prosperity and booming new industries. I rather liked that some of the chapters had 2030. Okay, we're in 2030, here's what it's going to look like. And I like that because people need to sort of have an idea what you could do in a decade. However, that report also showed that um, they want to see community-led initiatives so that everyone benefits and no one's left behind. One of them was um, energy efficiency, retrofitting houses. What what do people say about those things, community-led things, not led by government or industry, but things that the community could be given a grant or money to, to actually run with? I think there's a real enthusiasm for things and we've seen that across Australia in lots of areas. I think there's two pieces to that. One is um, community-led initiatives rely on resources being in the community and capacity in the community. Um, So elders like James, for example, and other elders and and, um, senior leaders in the community, they're often managing many, many things. And so we need to ensure that there's resources and capacity for that community leadership and for that work that needs to be done. And I think the second piece of that is ensuring that the rollout of those initiatives and the rollout of those programs um, also support people on low incomes and fixed incomes um, and potentially vulnerable housing and things like that. So I know that locally um, in Perth and also in the southwest, there have been conversations around um, social service organisations supporting in um, addressing, um, you know, addressing climate and housing vulnerability within the cli- within climate impacts, but also doing that in a way that works for low socioeconomic um, communities. Um, so I think you know it's very easy to say community-led initiatives, but actually it takes a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of resourcing. And then um, government and business leaders really need to listen. So they then actually need to really pay attention to what is being said by the community. And there are many examples where community have said one thing and it's been heard differently by those that have got the resources or the power to make it happen. Mm. So it's also about it being really genuine engagement with a community and actually really following what that community is saying and how that community is saying it needs to be rolled out. Oh, it's so tragic because we have this in the other coal mining communities. I especially interview people in New South Wales and we've got Latrobe Valley, the Voices of the Valley, you know, these lobby groups of citizens who, who, who they're on the ground, they see the reality, they see the social dislocation when things go bad. But I do think governments need to be listening very astutely. And what about the energy efficiency? That's a project that I think government could initiate, you know, to retrofit low-income housing so that the electricity bills aren't so high and energy efficiency is just really a known way of, um, you know, eliminating or saving emissions. Is there any group pushing for that? I think there are different um, community sector groups that are working in that space and I know that um, some of the social service organisations have been um, having different conversations around what fits our communities here Mm. Um, and so part of that is, you know, it may may need to look different in different communities. I think, um, you know, the idea of there being um, grants available for, you know, small and medium organisations, the idea of there being support for... Um, community housing, all of those things I think are fantastic and um, I think, you know, from the conversations I've had with people in the community um, people, you know people are really keen and enthusiastic I think the challenge with um, 
you know, Collie, and this is speaking as someone outside of Collie, right? So it's mm. not actually my place to say, but just no. my sense of things is that there have been many promises over time, many times, oh. and they've not been fulfilled. Oh. And so there's mistrust and there's um, kind of hesitation. And so people are um, part of what we've been doing through the last few months and the relationship we've, we've been building in the conversations is not just around how do we build a plan, but it's how do we implement the plan? What are the steps taken to implement that? What would it take for this to go from a plan and an idea um, or, a, you know, a, a set of ideas, how would it um, then actually happen in reality? Um, and so I think, you know, often, again, you know, I was involved in a hospital process where they spent millions of dollars in a, on a review of a hospital system and then no money was spent on the implementation of the review. Yeah. And so surprisingly enough, um, what was recommended in the report and what people were supportive of didn't actually happen in the long run. So some things worked, some things didn't work, but actually the transformation that was required didn't come through because the investment wasn't there in the implementation side of things. Mm. Um, and I think that's where the community's um, quite rightfully kind of, uh, you know, concerned and anxious and kind of like, well, you know, people have said these things before, but what's happening and how does that look? So... Um, there's, a, you know, lots of conversations and lots of relationships around um, working that through and continuing to be there over time yeah. um, until these things happen. Yeah, that's right. Look, I've got Lachlan here who would like to ask you a question. I invited him <laughs> in to talk to everyone. Oh, no, sure. well, I, just, I just wanted to chime in um, and really sort of emphasise what Jamie said there about um, that, that process of building trust mm. in the community because Jamie's right, I think, and it would be a... I'm sure a, a well-worn path for a lot of regional and rural communities around Australia mm. about these promises that often are not fulfilled. Mm. And that's why in the report we've really tried to emphasise that the first recommendation is before anything else is done, we need to have a process of actually beginning to build that trust in the community and and, and helping people within the community see that this, you know, a, a transition can't be an ad hoc process but has to be a process that brings the community along with a real openness particularly from government, but also from other stakeholders like businesses as well and employers to actually delivering that. So I think Jamie's absolutely right, and that's yeah. something we've really tried to emphasise in the report and hopefully in the follow-up work too. Jamie, my last question to you is, someone said to me, Collie is coal. I just asked them about coal and they said, Collie is coal. And I wonder how a place like that, that how can it preserve its identity and not be abandoned? I mean... I think it's so hard. This is a very big leap to think of all these jobs that we're going to talk about later on, shipbuilding, breaking down ships and recycling steel and recycling lithium batteries. It may not be the same people who get the jobs, and that's what I think people might be anxious about. They are now working in a solid old traditional industry, and then are they going to be left behind? How do you answer that? So I think, again, there's multiple answers. I think one of the first things um, that the, um, the CFMEU have been calling for and others within the industry itself have actually been calling for a jobs audit, right? So they've actually, and a skills audit within um, that, that area. So that, you know, it's, it's not a lot of investment that's required. And if the government engaged in a skills audit, we'd actually then be able to have a, this really, really clear picture of what skills people in the industry currently have. And then we'd be able to look at, you know, what transition 
what the transition can look like for those particular people. So at the moment, a lot of these conversations are often, often in hypothetical. And so I know that there, there are people that are really calling for that skills audit so that we can actually start really looking at the detail in those things. And I think um, Lachlan and the team have really worked on the report actually building on the skill sets that's already in the community. And I think with any community, whenever you, you know, Collie is coal, it is for a lot of people, but it's not for everybody. And so I think, you know, one of the things as well is to, to be focusing around coal and the and the workers in the coal industry and the workers and the and the communities that support that. But also there's lots of other things in that community and there's lots of other conversations that haven't necessarily got space. So so part of it is, you know, broadening that conversation. But it's actually interesting. So um, I'm from the UK and I'm from a small town called Stanton Hill, which was the centre of the, um, the coal strikes in 1985. And I've just returned from visiting my family over there. And it's really interesting and fascinating being in that community now doing the work that I do. And looking at how that community preserves its identity as a coal mining town, and there's not been coal mining there for decades. Mm -hmm. um, and so, looking as you travel through, there are the, um, you know, there are monuments, and um, the old mining wheels are everywhere. They're not called mining wheels. Anyone mm. that's involved will just look at me there as if I'm talking yeah. stupid. But anyway, whatever they are, the big <laughs> wheels from the, because they were all, yeah. you know, underground pits. So, you know, part of the, the underground pits are still there. There's walking trails, and the, you know, the five pit trails. So there's a there's this um, reforested, um, reclaimed area that is now um, a leisure space and a community and a cultural space for many people. But they've maintained that identity. There's there mm. was um, there was. A I'll have to five, cut you short there. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Jamie. That's so good. We'll have to keep that for another program. That's what they're doing in the Ruhr Valley as well, and I'd love to see that. And it's sort of honouring the people of the past too, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly, and it's looking at really honouring what, what, what where we're from, what's yeah. going on, and then what's yeah. for the future. Great. Oh, that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much for participating in the show and for the work you're doing in Collie. That's great. So no we've worries. just Thank been you. speaking to Jamie yellop Farrant, and now we'll talk to Claire Lachlan, who's been um, very busy creating this report and who will be going to Collie later this week to um, launch it. So, Lachlan, what impact are you expecting at the launch? Well, uh, I mean, whether or not the launch um, is is the end point of the engagement, I, I, I don't think. But the impact that we're hoping to have in the community uh, is we'd really like to contribute to broadening out the conversation in Collie about what the future looks like and to help uh, shift a narrative mm -hmm. that's sort of... And you could hear it um, speaking with James there where people have... Uh, um, you know, the Collie, Collie has had this really amazing, vibrant industrial history. And I think there is some sort of negativity around what the future looks like mm. now that that is, is sort of not, now that it is in decline. Mm. Um, and I think we, we really want to be part of um, broadening out that conversation to show that the future for towns like Collie and for towns in Latrobe Valley and the mm. Hunter and central Queensland and gas communities around the country and around the world actually can be really exciting and prosperous and, um, you know, there can be jobs for people's kids and for people's grandkids. And, and I think our report is not in any way, shape or form going to be a silver bullet, but 
Um, I think the conversation is shifting within the community already, and I think we want to contribute to that and help open up the space for other people to talk about alternative visions for the future. Yes, I wish you could read the report, listeners. It isn't public yet, but we're giving you a taste of it today. And it is really full of incredibly interesting things. I wouldn't have thought that, you know, cement and and uh, recycled lithium-ion batteries is going to be an exciting subject. But I was reading it with some pleasure because it was so creative how you could, in fact, don't take this lying down, climate change, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. Yes, we can do something about it. So, look, you made make rather bold policy recommendations to the Western Australian government. I hope you can have a, you know, a closed-door conversation with them. But, you know, it's very well-researched. Can you tell us um, about those, just one or two of those recommendations that you made at the state government level? I think probably the biggest one for us, I mean, I mentioned earlier that process of building trust within the community, but I think the biggest one that facilitates the transition we're talking about here and creates the most jobs in Collie and it surrounds is a, a 100% uh, West Australian renewable energy target for WA's main grid, which is called the Swiss. So we talk about 100% renewables on the Swiss by 2030. Uh, and we, our suggestion is that only, you know, is that fortune favours the brave and that only with a, sending a really clear market signal can you start to attract the sort of hubs of industry and new industry and, and, and clean energy um, that we're talking about building up to replace these jobs uh, lost in the coal mines. So that's the, the headline one for us and really out of the rest of the recommendations flow out of that uh, and talk about how you make sure that of, you know, of the billions of dollars of investment that's going to require from private industry, government, consumers, um, that as much as possible that stays in WA. So that's, yeah. that's yeah, the headline really is that is that 100% renewable energy target. And then we, you know, work through from there as to how you can operationalise that. Yeah, well, it seems to be working in Victoria. Well, I mean, and this, and we, we draw attention to case studies here mm. in Victoria, um, particularly you look at Keppel Price and uh, also at the Vestas announcement in Geelong, building yeah. drivetrains in the old Ford factory there. Um, you know, that's a really good start, and that's really, I think that's a, a proof of concept. Um, but I think we can be more ambitious in Australia because we do have such unrivaled renewable resources. You know, we're mad if we don't take full... Uh, uh, if we don't maximise the benefit of these oh, opportunities yeah, that we're going we to get. We are here. mad, obviously. Look, but what is the importance of this? I know you, it's not a direct transition, like you're producing coal-fired power and then you're producing renewable power. That won't be the way it is. It'll be different, but renewable energy will be produced elsewhere where the, where the resources are best, but it'll be used in Collie, which will become a hub of all sorts of new industries that you've outlined. What's the importance of zero carbon energy in, in that? So you're absolutely right. Um, Collie is a beautiful part of the world, but it is not the sunniest part of WA and it's not the windiest part of WA. Um, so realistically, it's not going to be as simple as yeah. plonking mm. thousands of wind turbines there. Uh, but what that transition, that clean energy transition facilitates uh, is for a start, you start to have periods where you have a great deal of low price energy so when it's windy and sunny the price of energy is very low which is very useful for energy intensive industries mm. and that's where you can look at industries like recycled steel so you've got an electric arc furnace that needs huge amounts of electricity and so when you've got low cost electricity that really helps with the economics of that um, we talk as well about you know using collie and sort of some of the natural um, formations around collie as as for opportunities to store energy as well. So you, you, basically Collie is no longer producing huge amounts of energy, but 
Collie still sort of has this role at the heart of the network where you've got energy intensive industries, you've got energy storage there, and also you've got a lot of the facilities that you need to both manufacture and fabricate those renewable energy technologies and also maintain. Could I just uh, rem- uh, remind the listeners of a program we did, um, I don't remember, maybe it was last year, Rethinking Cement, and we mm. all learned about fly ash then. You may have forgotten, listeners, I certainly have forgot what is fly ash product of the um, coal-fired power station, but they've got tons of it. They've got mountains of it over there. And Lachlan has worked out that this would be very handy in making um, low-carbon concrete. Is that really feasible? Is that something that will be easily, you know, those two elements put together? Yeah, so Colley Power Station, which is one of the three power stations, there is one of only two power stations in mm. Australia where they currently capture the fly ash and add it to cement. So um, I think that's a pretty strong suggestion that the um, the fly ash is suitable for yeah. cementness purposes. Um, there's a conversation that's happening around the world about uh, mining fly ash like reserves, Um, and that's a conversation we'll have to have in Australia because there's hundreds of millions of tonnes of fly ash in huge lakes around the country. Um, But certainly our preliminary research says that, yes, the the fly ash at Collie is suitable. There's also um, almost half a billion tonnes of red mud, which is a toxic byproduct of alumina refining, which um, is also being increasingly researched as a a, a cementinous material for low-carbon cements there. So I think it's definitely an industry where Collie has a real competitive advantage, mm. um, particularly WA with so much um, civil engineering going on there um, and, and, you know, a long history of sort of large civil engineering projects. Um, I think it's a really exciting opportunity for Collie. Okay, well, look, we're going to have to go to our next um, caller in a moment. Um, but just one last thing. I could hardly believe that almost all our naval fleet will become obsolete. In your mm. report, you just boldly said yes huge percentage of it will become obsolete and that we're going to be spending $90 billion on new defence assets. I presume that's submarines and and other ships. But rather than scuttling the old ships, you see another opportunity for Collie. Can you just tell us that in one minute? One minute or less, yeah. So at the moment we just we, we tend to scuttle old ships, so we flog them off to um, shipyards on the other side of the world for breaking up. Um, we had a lot of conversations in WA. People thought that was scandalous and that actually we should be um, building up a, a sustainable, highest, you know, standard, best practice shipbreaking industry in Australia because it is a very dangerous injury, uh, industry that leads to thousands of deaths in Bangladesh and Pakistan and mm-hmm. India, and that we should be doing that work here in Australia using um, best practice, using you know, paying high wages, and actually, and there is a, a really a burgeoning market for best practice shipbreaking as well as laws changed in the European Union. Um, okay. So I, I think that's a really exciting opportunity. That would be on the coast there, either at Bunbury or, mm. or possibly all the way up at Quinana. And then there. all that recycled steel. Go straight into an arc furnace to yes. be turned into <laughs> wind turbine towers yeah. to, you know, then power WA on 100% clean energy. Brilliant. I told your listeners it was going to be visionary. You've just got to imagine all of this happening. Thank you, Lachlan, for telling us and especially for writing, writing and, you know, <clears throat> supervising this big report. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emission show about Collie in Western Australia and how with 100% renewable energy it could become a diversified economy, manufacturing economy, and also how the social licence for such a big transition away from coal must be cultivated. So that's why we've started with the, the what the local people really feel. I think we're going to have a spot of music and then after that we'll talk to Steve McCartney. Thank you. 
listening to 3CR, 855am, the voice of the community. Welcome back, listeners. Our next guest is Stephen McCartney, who's the State Secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, NWA. They have 10,000 members working in a huge range of industries like food processing, steel fabrication, chemical processing, and they also work in Western Australia's giant LNG projects and coal industry at Collie. So planning a future beyond fossil fuels is vital to them. Welcome, Stephen. G'day. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really pleased you could... Uh, find the time for us and I believe you've just come back from a town a tour to get some justice for the Griffin coal mine workers um, uh, Melbourne listeners might have not have heard this story but the ACTU is now calling for a just transition for collie workers and the community and I wonder why can't we get a national transition plan for all these communities Well I think there's a couple of things I think you have to take each community on its merits and um, have a real look at the opportunities for each community and then work through them uh, with the community. I think where the problem has lied so far, we've been pushing for a just transition inside uh, that community for the last two years now. And um, we started off having meetings with 40 or so, but now we're getting about 250 townspeople to the meetings um, and inviting politicians there. And what we're saying to the community is, uh, if you've got any questions, we'll put people in front of you that can give you the answers. And um, we've been talking about trans- when they're transitioning out of coal, we need to create, replace an industry with an industry. We can't rely on small business to carry such a heavy load. No. And in a, in a small, isolated town like Collie, small business relies on a big business. So um, we've been championing the cause to get big business to move into town. Um, but we want to make sure it's the business that Collie people want, mm-hmm. not the business that the state government want to fit them up with. Well, is this recycled steel one of the options? I believe that they rec- uh, BZD report said uh, electric arc furnaces at Collie would employ 200 people and produce half a million tonnes of steel per year. Is, it, is, that, golden, is that a good, a good option? It's a golden opportunity. We, we put that forward about a year or so ago because, yeah. as you know, we're heavily involved in the defence uh, build as a union mm. and uh, we identified and, and explained and we agree with the fact that you can't just keep throwing these ships on the bottom of the ocean and pretending they're uh, tourist uh, attractions. <laughs> what they're really doing is using no. the bloody uh, ocean as a tip. Yeah. And uh, one day when the tide goes out, they're going to be exposed. And <laughs> what we're saying is that we could really make an industry here because for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we've got to decommission 22 ships and why wouldn't we do that in an economically and environmentally friendly way? And the more important thing is you might get about 180 blue-collar jobs pulling these ships apart, but it creates about 300 uh, recycling jobs in uh, all the various different disciplines that it'll all be going to. Yeah. And we believe that recycling is going to be a huge industry in the future. And this is where we should be encouraging um, industry to go. Because if you look at uh, where some of that scrap steel coming out of the iron ore industry, the gold industry, out of every shutdown, out of every bucket that breaks, out of every shovel that needs replacing, all that stuff gets re- reused. 
and uh, revitalised and creating jobs in West Australia. It's not a bad place to be. Yeah. And what we want to do, of course, is get those mines to be um, more uh, conscious about uh, creating local jobs and making sure that they get make sure they they get really supported, but get involved in uh, the ground of uh, ground ground support to get it built. Yeah, well, look, I heard that you're very keen on training, and um, I, I used to be a TAFE teacher at one stage, and I know that those, you know, the, the you need training, you need people to keep upskilling themselves, and at the moment, our, all our metal waste, I think, is exported. What kind of training courses would be needed to train people to do this work? Well, you'd be, you'd be surprised the amount of technology that's getting introduced into recycling and all the different forms of recycling, whether it be oil, uh, whether it be iron ore or all the other parts of the ship, you know, including the wire, including gold, including computers. There's so many different things to break down and rebuild. And there's so much technology going into recycling. There's a real career path inside recycling if, um, if we invest in this the right way. And in the courses to train people how to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And if that investment the human investment of training and upskilling and giving young people uh, a career path inside an industry. And and this is going to be a big industry for Australia now and into the future. Well, uh, in my research for the program, I found out that Western Australia mines most of the world's lithium, and yet um, the BZE report suggests that we could also recycle lithium-ion batteries that are very plentiful. Apparently 90% of those batteries can be recycled, but at the moment they're going to landfill. And there's also solar PV, you know, those people who put them on in the early, early adopters of solar panels. Now those are starting to come to the end of their life, and 95% of their materials can be reused or recycled. Is that a, a good proposition for Collie? Um, I think it's an excellent proposition for the southwest corner, uh, and that's uh, they've got a problem in the whole of that southwest um, uh, for job creation. And we believe that uh, projects like the, Pic- the Picton 21st Century Manufacturing Facility, um, uh, it's, it's really in the gateway for mining down there. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's on its way to Kalgoorlie, and it's to an internal route to the, the Pilbara. What we're saying is that Bunbury and uh, Collie area could be the gateway to the mining industry where we can do the manufacturing and, you know, the train rebuilds and rail rebuilds that we will need for lithium. You know, if lithium, the lithium mine gets up in a serious way, there's going to be like eight truck move, uh, a truck movement every eight minutes out of the mine. What we're saying quite clearly is that should be done by rail and we should be leaving those roads, roads alone. Yeah. Okay, look, we're going to have to finish in a second, but look, I know a lot of your work in unions is defensive. You know, you've had to go and defend the people at the Griffin Mine, for example, you know, who get badly treated, so you have to go and defend them. But your membership are closer to the realities than I think a lot of us listeners are. And I'd like to know what sort of training do you want to see to fast forward this transition away from just, you know, Collie's a coal town, let's diversify it or what? kind of oh, you know incentive well, would help the training move along we've asked we've asked the, we've asked the government to do a few things we've, we've asked them to make sure they stabilize the local economy while this transition's going on because the last thing we need is for people's investments to go south while we're asking other people to invest in the town we're asking for joint ventures and and TAFE and university training for design and engineering 
We're also asking that when companies move into town for the new economy, that the, the small business operators that were servicing the mines get upskilled and retrained so they can be part of the joint venture of the future of the town. Yeah. It's about making sure we can stabilise the local economy while we create change and make sure that that change has the least amount of impact on the people and the most amount of impact on cleaning up the atmosphere. Oh, good. Well, look, I think with good people like you there and all the ones that I've interviewed tonight, there's a lot of thinking going into this. But good luck to you, and I hope it, I hope you get this transition in, you know, in the next decade. Let's see it happen. Thanks very much. And shows like yours are going to help make it happen. Oh, that's right. Thank you. So that's Stephen McCartney from the AMWU. And now our last guest is... Greg Busson. He's the Secretary of the West Australia Division of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. And I want to ask him about protecting the health and future conditions of his members. Welcome to the Beyond Zero radio show, Greg. Uh, thanks for the time. I'm, I'm really pleased to talk to you. It's going to be brief because we've, we've had so many callers already, but um, this is going to be interesting. Look, Collie has over 1,200 coal industry workers, I know, and some of them are already feeling the uncertainty around the future. We heard from the AMW about the Griffin Coal Company reneging on its agreement with workers. Do you think we need a, a just transition authority like the Germans have, you know, with all the stakeholders in? <coughs> Excuse me. Um no, I, I think the Australian public missed a great opportunity through the last federal election where Labor was committed to having a just transition authority. I think uh, Collie's not... Collie's only one of the first... You know, there's been a few on the East Coast, but yeah. Collie's stuck in the middle of it now, so it's going to happen more and more as the uh, the way we get our power and our electricity evolves. So uh, I think there's going to be a growing need for it, and I, I think we'd need it sooner than later. Yeah. All right. Well, the Beyond Zero Emission report sees Collie leading the way in many things, but one of them was mine rehabilitation. And a skilled workforce can then, you know, they skill up in rehabilitating the mines there, but then they can go on. Apparently there's 1,137 mines listers as shut in Western Australia. I know there are thousands of them in New South Wales. And it's urgent work if... You know, if the more of the precious groundwater isn't going to be contaminated, you know, and I think it's skilled work. Would your members see themselves leading this new restorative industry? Oh, certainly it's one of the options. Um, the people want to a, make their own choice about what they want to do with their future, but um, people have got the skills. Uh, a lot of those mines are sort of in the... Uh, like around the Kalgoorlie, like the coal mining... Yeah, sorry, the gold mining areas, and a lot of them are in the Pilbara. Um, so, yeah, it would have to be got a different location for people to work in, but I'm sure people have got the skills. they hire highly skilled as far as dozer operators, truck operators, um, grader operators and all that sort of stuff. The equipment's all needed. Yeah. Um, so I think it would be a natural progression for some of those people. Well, is there a problem there that perhaps the jobs wouldn't be so highly paid? Uh, well, it depends what the, what the transition looks like. like. I think that you probably... the way, I don't think it's the... Wage is the issue. It's the amount of time that those jobs take because you know they're only sort of um, two to three years. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, on to the next one. So you know, it's more about um, continuity of work than actual wage. Yeah, that's right. No one wants to be fly in, fly out, and go, you know, so many must be very disruptive. Yeah, like I said, we've got this part of the um, through the Beyond Zero uh, report that's going to be released. Um, they identified those jobs, but we, we appreciate that. They've identified them, but we only see them in the Collie 
mm. so a limit to the collier region, it's only while that rehabilitation is taking place. Mm, okay. But as you say, if you if you consider that maybe someone sets up a company that does the rehabilitation through the assistance of the government or yeah. whoever, um, maybe it's an option for people. Yeah, okay. Well, look, the energy transition... You know, everyone says it's inevitable, but it's a lot of people are really nervous about it. It offers us a chance to rethink, I also think, the relationship between the kind of economy we want for our society and the increasingly insecure and damaging economy. We must be struggling against that all the time. You know, this kind of way the old industries have squeezed us into very unfair conditions, I think. I don't know. I'd like, not like to know your opinion, but I want to know what part would the CFMEU play in negotiating good, secure jobs and really good conditions as we move to 100% renewables? We don't want, you know, people exploited in the process. No, I think um, the people from the working people from Collie have suffered over the, since through Griffin Coal mainly, um, as far as having their wages reduced by the each of the miners took an average of about a thirty-seven thousand dollars pay cut in an endeavour to keep the mine open. So they've already felt pain, and any reduction, further reduction would see the uh, viability of the town diminish rapidly. Um, so yeah, it's all about any any jobs that come into town that the government are looking at have to be you know, similar skill and similar wage, because otherwise it'll just uh, deteriorate what's already happening in Collie now. Um, so we accelerate that process. So yeah, no, we're we're all for that. It's also not only about the wages, and it's about making sure that the Company, any companies that do come into town, they employ local and procure goods and services through town, so it helps with the community. It's not only the miners, it's the whole community we're worried about. Yeah. Do, do you have anything else to say to us about this, you know, Collie, this big subject and the transition? Um... Um, I, I just, some people see it as, a, um, you know, the end of the world's coming. I see it that we can lie, I'm sort of more positive about it, but we actually, because we've got time, you know, we've got took 15, 20 years, depending on who you listen to. Yeah. Um, it, it gives people a chance to have a say in what they want their community to look like. So if we, we're positive about it and to talk to people about what we want in the community, we can develop what our community, with the needs we need for our community, what we want our community to look like, instead of having it dictated to us. Mm. Well, a lot of people are talking about a Green New Deal with jobs guarantee as one feature and the other feature... Um, is sort of cooperative ownership where people have more of a say in how the business is run and the products that are made and the you know to, to prevent yep. the environmental damage that that's just collateral damage at the moment. Um, what, what do you think about those ideas? I think every idea is a good idea. I think any idea is only a bad idea if we don't talk about it. Yeah. So I think I think everything's on the table. Um, we go in with an open mind and we see what's best for us. Um, yeah. The other issue is you've got in there that if we've got the, I think the Victorian government, I think it is, have um, got some legislation where, as where power into the grid has been replaced by coal-produced power has been replaced by renewables, um, part of the part of the deal is that they don't use that to drive down wages and conditions. That those people have to then um, agree, not agree, they um, follow on from those wages and conditions that carry over from the um, coal-generated power. So. People don't then use it as a way to drive down conditions in um, rec communities. Yeah. So I think they're all positive things that the government can help. Um, and anyone that gets a leg up to come into a community, there should be a payback as local jobs and, um, as I said, goods and services into the town. Mm. Do you see more uh, government ownership or, or, you know, 
Uh, you know. uh, oh, I, I wouldn't say probably not government ownership, but at least government input and assistance from the government mm. to make sure that these things happen and they're happening for the right thing, not just to um, ensure that the community survives, not not see the end of death of a community. I think that's that's where the government involvement sits. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of the absolute huge problems of our generation. People in your member, your members who who are who get their money from coal, oil and gas, you know, that that's a driver of their life in a way. That's where their skills are. For them to rethink themselves, for people to be supported while the transition's happening. I mean, it's easy for us to say, here it is on paper, but you're living it. Um, how much input do you get from the members about this or are people just fatalistic? Uh, well, with, with my, my membership mainly concerned, the majority of my membership in Colby is the coal miner, so it doesn't really impact our, you know, the first couple of closures yeah. that went announced earlier this year. don't really affect my members greatly straight away. Yeah. So we've actually got time. It's more of the power station workers at Nuja that will feel the brunt of it first off or feel yeah. the effects. Yeah. But I think it's now that the ball started rolling. I think it's now it's up onto the government um, to keep people in, uh, giving the information as it's going along, so keep them communicate openly with the work with the uh, oh, community, yes. not yeah. just the workforce, um, and allay any of these fears that it's not going to happen. I think some people have got to worry that it's going to happen tomorrow. I think the initial uh, closures, the closures that were announced, you know, the uh, 2022 and 2024, mm. gives people time and to think about what they would like. Um, going forward. So I think it's that thing that they've got now that started the government got to continue now to communicate with people openly and honestly and um, good or bad people need to know so they can make up their own mind about what they want. Too true. All right. Thank you very much. So we've been talking to Greg Busson from the Western Australian Division of CFMEU and we're talking about Collie. Thanks, Greg. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. All right, now we'll just have a little um, break again now and then um, we'll finish. But I hope, listeners, you've got a lot of information from this and keep your eye out for that um, collie at the crossroads published by Beyond Zero Emissions quite soon. It'll be released on Friday. <laughs> released on Friday, there you are. <laughs> 3CR Tune in to Power from the Margins, 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. Welcome back to the Beyond Zero Mission show. Um, I'd like to thank the guests tonight, um, James Kahn, Jamie Yellop-Ferrant, Lachlan Rule, Steve McCartney and Greg Busson. I'd also like to thank Andy, who's been just managing all these phone calls. No for, worries at all, Viv. Thank you. <laughs> connecting us with Western Australia. And I'd like to announce um, a few things that are on in the community. Frontline Action on Coal has sent me a message today that they're launching a new aspect of their Stop Adani campaign. It's called Galilee Rising. So if you write that name down, Galilee Rising, that'll be a website. But now is the time to take bold, peaceful protest action, they say. And the Melbourne Info session will be Tuesday the 19th. That's tomorrow at 6.30 at the Multicultural Hub, 506 Elizabeth Street. For Sydney listeners who might be listening on Radio um, Skid Row, shout out to Skid Row, um, if you're listening 
the info session for Galilee Rising for you is November 27th at 6.30 at Newtown Neighbourhood Centre. And the Frontline Action on Coal, we've interviewed them many times. You know, they're the people who lock on and go on those tripods. They're very intrepid young people. And they remind us that through history, dangerous projects like the Adani Mine have been stopped in their tracks by people who care about our future. And um, you might like to go to the Info Night see how you can support. Also, on another one, for those of you who've enjoyed our interviews about regenerative culture, this new culture that needs to underpin the huge transition, you can see how huge it is just from tonight's program. Um, Extinction Rebellion have this group called Regenerative Culture and there's a party on Sunday, November 24th at 1pm. It's at 33 Saxon Street, Brunswick, at the Community Building site works. I think you can look up Extinction Rebellion Regenerative Culture and you'll find it. And just one little tiny bit of news. I always like to pick weird bits of news. France says that all new rooftops must be covered in solar panels or plants if they are in commercial zones. And Canada has mandated green roofs for several years. So that's just a little something for Babette. So um, Beyond Zero Initiatives um, supports this program. It's an innovative think tank with research solutions for the climate crisis that we're creating. If we don't stop, you know, doing all the things that we've been talking tonight, keep mining and keep emitting, that'll be the end. But if you like the Collie Report, consider donating to Beyond Zero Emissions at bze.org.au. Every dollar helps us deliver groundbreaking research. So thank you to everyone. The Collie Report out on Friday at Beyond Zero Emissions website. So good night and good luck. Cyclones is pretty grim. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR and beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. BZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally.